The old radio preacher J. Vernon McGee used to say, God does things in His universe in His way. Now, you may have a better way, but you don't have a universe. And there's a lot of truth in that. God's universe is His universe. And we've been talking about what is this God like who rules the universe of which we are a part? What is God like? What attributes does He possess? I'm Dr. Greg Ammons. Welcome to Truth 101, where we look at systematic theology and the great doctrines of the Christian faith. And we've been looking at the character of God. We began last podcast, and we're going to look for four podcasts at the character of God. What is the God of our universe like? What characteristics does He possess? What attributes are His? We saw in the last podcast that theologians usually break down the attributes of God into two categories, the incommunicable attributes and the communicable attributes. By that, we mean God's incommunicable attributes. Those are attributes God possesses that He does not share with human beings. He has those characteristics. We do not have the characteristics. And then the communicable attributes are the ones that God has that He does share with humans as His creation created in His image that the attributes He has that we have. He has them in a greater degree, but we have them also. So in the first two podcasts, we're looking at the incommunicable attributes of God. And the last podcast, we look at the first two incommunicable attributes that God possesses. That is His independence, number one, and His unchangeableness, number two. So now in this podcast, let's look at the next two incommunicable attributes of God, and those are His eternity and His omnipotence. His eternity and His omnipotence. What we mean by that is, number one, God is eternal, and God is all-powerful, omnipotent. So let's look at both of them during our time together today. First of all, the first characteristic we'll look at, actually the third incommunicable attribute of God, but the first one we'll look at in this podcast is God's eternity. God is eternal. And what I mean by that is God has no beginning or ending or succession of moments in His own being, and He sees all time as equally vivid. And we'll talk about that in just a moment. I find it interesting that Genesis 1, the Bible begins not with an explanation of God, but with an assumption of God. Genesis 1.1 does not tell us where God came from because He's eternal. It does not try to explain God to us. It assumes God. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. He's there. The Bible assumes God. It does not explain God. Sometimes this doctrine of God's eternity uh, is, is also um, called His doctrine of infinity with respect to time. To be infinite is to be uh, unlimited. And so this doctrine teaches us 
that time in no way limits God. It limits us. Time definitely limits us. We only have a short number of years on this earth. Time limits us. But it does not in any way change God or limit God or has any effect on His being. Has no effect on His perfections or His purposes or His promises. Time does not affect God's knowledge. God never learns new things. He never forgets things. That would mean a change in His perfect knowledge. So this also implies that the passing of time does not add to God's knowledge or take away from God's knowledge. It does humans. The longer you live, the more you can learn. But also toward the end of life, it's very possible for you to develop a disease that where your knowledge leaves you. God, that never happens to God. He knows all things past, present, future, and He knows them all equally well. You know, the fact that God has no beginning or ending is seen in Psalm 90, verse 2. It says, Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Book of Job 36, 26. Elihu says of God, the number of his, of his years is unsearchable. God's eternity, suggested by other passages, look at in Revelation, I am the Alpha, the Omega, says the Lord God, who is, who was, who is to come, the Almighty. Time does not affect God. And you know, it's really interesting in conversation Jesus had in John 8, 58 with the religious leaders you might remember Jesus said something very startling to them whenever he said, before Abraham was, I am, in John 8, 58. So Jesus is saying that over 2,000 years ago, before Abraham existed, he was already existing. But really, he affirmed more than that. Jesus did not simply say, before Abraham was, I was already alive. Now, that would be shocking enough. But he said, before Abraham was, I am. So the placement of a present tense verb in that statement referring to a distant past suggests that Jesus had a kind of presentness at all stages of past history. Wow, that's powerful. And Jesus' statement there is really an explicit claiming of the na na name of God from Exodus 3.14 where God said, I am who I am. And so time does not affect God. Now here are three thoughts and let me share these three thoughts and then we'll go to the next incommunicable attribute of omnipotence and I'll share three thoughts about that one. First thought is about God being eternal is that God sees all time equally vivid. It's somewhat easier for us to understand that God sees all time equally vivid because you read in Psalm 90, verse 4, a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it's past or a single watch in night. 
You know, it's sometimes difficult for us to remember events that occurred several weeks ago or several months ago or several years ago. We remember recent events more vividly because they happened sooner. And the clarity of our memory fades with the passing of time. And even if it were possible for us to live a thousand years, we would remember very few events from hundreds of years earlier, and the clarity of that memory would be very low. But here, the Bible tells us God views a thousand years as yesterday. He can remember all the detailed events of a thousand years vividly and clearly. He sees all of them like they were yesterday. A thousand years as a, as a watch in the night, that was a three or four hour period. So God sees all time equally vividly, even though we as humans do not. That's a great characteristic of God. Here's a second thought about God's eternity. God sees events in time and he acts in time. God sees events in time and he acts in time time. Paul wrote Galatians 4 verses 4 and 5, but when the fullness of the time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those who were under the law. So God observed clearly and knew exactly what was happening with the events in his creation as they occurred over time. We might say that God watched the progress of time as various events occurred within his creation. And then at the right time, he said, now, now is the time that has fully come. And he sent his son, Jesus, into the world. So God saw the events of time and he acted in the course of human history. You know, it's evident throughout the Bible that God acts within time and he acts differently at different points in time. For example, you might remember Paul on Mars Hill with the men of Athens whenever he said, quote, chapter 17 of Acts, verses 30 and 31, quote, the times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed, end quote. Did you hear that? He had fixed a day on which he will judge the world. So this tells us that God sees events in time and he acts in time. Now the repeated emphasis on God's ability to predict the future in the Old Testament prophets, that requires us to realize that God predicts his actions at one point in time and then carries those out over a later point in time. In other words, the Old Testament prophets, they prophesied them they would happen sometimes hundreds of years later, but it happened and they, he acted in time. So God sees time. He's eternal, but he sees events in time and he acts in the course of history. Here's a third thought about God's eternity. We will always, always exist in time with him. Will we share in God's eternity? What about heaven? What about believers in heaven and eternity and time? How does that relate? 
Well, specifically in the new heaven and the new earth, which are yet to come, people have wondered, will time still exist? And there are a lot of theologians that believe that it will. Now, there are a lot of people that believe that it will not. In fact, there's an old hymn that we sing that says, when the trumpet of the Lord shall sound and time shall be no more. Wait, wait a minute, hold on, hold on. Does the Bible tell us time will be no more? That's what the hymn says. But does the Bible say that? Well, we read in Scripture in Revelation 21, the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives, its, it, gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb, and there will be no more night there. So does that mean time ceases to exist? Well, there are some theologians that say that's not what that passage means. It is not true, they say, to say that heaven will be timeless or without the presence of, the, of time or the passage of time. Why would they say that? Well, a couple of passages are the reasons why, mostly in Revelation. We're told concerning the light of the heavenly city that by that light all nations will walk and in Revelation 21, 24. And so these activities of bringing things into the heavenly city and walking by the light of the heavenly city imply that events are going to be happening and taking place. That time will be passing by. It's just that it will be eternal. Something is outside this heavenly city, and then all of a sudden, it's within the heavenly city. So when did that happen? It happened over the course of, of time. And not only that, Revelation 4.10 talks about we will cast our crowns before the throne of God. Well, that requires that at one moment in heaven you have a crown, and then another moment you don't have a crown. What, what happened? There was a passage of time. And to sing a new song of praise before God in heaven requires that, that one word be sung after another word. That's a passage of time. And Revelation 22, 2 is interesting. It says the tree of life in the heavenly city will yield fruit every month. Every month? Well, that sounds like the passage of time. That months will pass by in heaven. So therefore, there appears to be a succession of moments one after another, things happening after one after another in heaven that will be a passage of time. So there's a lot of theologians that believe that we will share in God's nature of being eternal in heaven, but that time will pass by in heaven. It'll just be timeless. but there will be events in time passing by that we will share that incommunicable attribute of God that we will be eternal. Well, let's go to the fourth uh, incommunicable attribute of God and the second one we're talking about in this podcast. Uh, just to summarize, the incommunicable attributes of God, He is independent, He's unchangeable, He's eternal, and fourthly, He is um omnipotent, or rather he is omnipresent. He is, all, he is all everywhere. We'll talk about omnipotence later. He is omnipresent.
present. Now, that means God is everywhere. Just as God is unlimited or infinite with respect to time, God is unlimited with respect to space, His presence. And the characteristic of God's nature of being, being everywhere at once is that God is omnipresent. The Latin prefix omni meaning all. All present means God does not have size or shape or spatial dimensions. He's at every point in space his whole, with His whole being. And so I want to share three thoughts about God's omnipresence with you before we close. The first thought is, God is omnipresent, but He is present everywhere. There are specific passages that talk about God's presence in every part of space. Jeremiah chapter 23 and verses 23 and 24, he says, in, in, we read, am, am I a God at hand, declares the Lord, and not a God far away? Can a man hide himself in secret places so I can't see him? And listen what he says next. Do I not fill heaven and earth, declares the Lord? He is telling us that he is present everywhere, filling time and space. God's omnipotence is beautifully expressed by David, Psalm 139, 7 through 10, where he says, Wherever, where shall I go from your spirit? Where shall I flee from your presence, O Lord? If I ascend to heaven, you're there. If I make my bed in the grave, you're there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. Folks, there's nowhere in the entire universe on land or sea, heaven or hell, where you will flee from the presence of God. He's omnipresent. And we should note that there is no indication that simply a part of God is in one place or another. God Himself is fully in every place at one time. It is God Himself who is present wherever David might go. We can't say that some of God or a part of God is present. His whole being is present. Colossians 1.17, in Him all things hold together. If we live and move, that's in Him we have our being. So God is fully and wholly present everywhere. That's my first thought about God's omnipresence. But here's the second thought. God does not have spatial dimensions. God does not have spatial dimensions. God cannot be contained by space. It doesn't matter how large the space is. I love Solomon's prayer after he built the temple in 1 Kings 8, 27. Read it just the other day. God, uh, rather Solomon prayed to God and, and in his prayer says, but God will indeed dwell on the earth Behold, heaven and the highest earth, heaven and the highest heavens cannot contain you, Lord. How can this house I built contain you? Heaven and the highest heaven cannot contain God. How in the world can space contain him? So while the thought that God is everywhere present with his whole being ought to encourage us greatly in prayer, no matter where we are, God's in his whole being is going to be there with us. There's no special place to go to worship God. 
You can worship him anywhere. He cannot be contained in one place. Now, he's gathered, he has commanded his people to gather in church and worship on Sundays, but that's not the only place you worship through the course of the week. Spatial, God does not have spatial dimensions. God is a being who exists without size, without dimension. In fact, God created the universe. There was no matter, there was no material, and there was no space. But God still existed. He existed even when there was no space. Kind of blows your mind to think about it. He was not in a place that we could call a where, or for there was no where or space at all. God still was. And so this fact makes us realize that God relates to space in a far different way than we do. I can be in one place at one time, and I don't feel that whole place when I'm there. But he exists as a kind of being far different from us. His whole being is everywhere all the time. And here's the third thought. Third thought about God's omnipresence. God can be present to punish, to sustain, or to bless. Now, let me explain. The idea of God's omnipresence has sometimes troubled people who wonder, how can God be present everywhere, for example? How can he be present in hell? Well, that's what David said, if I descend to Sheol, the grave, you're there. I mean, isn't hell the opposite of God's presence or the absence of God? How can he be there? How can he be in hell? Paul, for example, said the unbelievers will suffer punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and the glory of his might in 2 Thessalonians 1.9. So how then can God be everywhere, including hell? Well, here's the difference. I think this difficulty can be resolved by realizing that God is present in different ways in different places. Or that God acts differently in different places in His creation. Sometimes God is in a place to punish. Sometimes God's in a place to sustain. And sometimes God, in, God is in a place to bless. Let me just mention all three. And then I'll close. God can be in a place to, to punish. Sometimes he is present to punish. In fact, there are passages that talk about that. Amos chapter 9, verses 1 through 4, talks about God being, being present to punish. And it is a terrifying passage. Listen to it. Not one of them shall flee away. Not one of them shall escape. If they dig into Sheol, for there my hand shall take them. If they climb up to heaven, from there I'll bring them down. If they hide themselves on the top of Carmel, from there I'll search for them and take them out. If they hide from my sight at the bottom of the sea, I'll command the serpent to bring them up and bite them. If they go into captivity before their enemies, there I'll command the sword and it'll kill them. I will fix my eyes upon them for evil and not for good. God can be places, folks, present to punish. And that is the presence of God that is talked about in Sheol. But God also is present to sustain. 
to keep the universe existing, to keep the universe functioning in the way he intended it to function from the very beginning. And in this sense of divine nature of Christ is everywhere present too. That's what Paul talked about, that Jesus is everywhere to sustain. Colossians 1.17, he is before all things and in him all things hold together. So he's there to sustain us. The author of Hebrews says in Hebrews 1.3, God, the Son of God, continually upholds the universe by the word of his power. So God's presence is here to sustain the universe and keep it going. So you have God's presence to punish, you have God's presence to sustain, but you also have the, God's presence to bless. And that's most of Scripture. Most of the time the Bible talks about the presence of God, it is referring to God's presence to bless. He is there to bring blessings to His people. Many, many passages talk about that. So in summary, God is present in every part of space with His whole being, but God does act differently in different places for different purposes. So when the Bible speaks of God's presence, it usually means His presence to bless, but it also can mean His presence to punish or His presence to sustain. Well, those are the first four powerful incommunicable attributes of God. Join us next week as we begin the next podcast talking about God's communicable attributes, those characteristics of God that we share with Him. God bless you the rest of the week. We'll see you next week. Truth 101.